Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations on Carmelite Spirituality on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. We're so excited to be continuing a series that we began, Francis, I guess a couple weeks ago, um, including the feast days that we happen to uh, encounter along the way and celebrating those. Um, but today we're actually going to focus just on the text by a Father Donald Haggerty entitled Contemplative Provocations. Um, and unfortunately, I say unfortunately because it's a tough week in the series of chapters that we're going to do, we're going to talk about poverty, poverty of spirit that is, self-denial, and trials. Um, this is a particularly, uh, I think, compelling section of the book and one that uh, offers us, I think, from Father Haggerty as well as our Carmelite saints, an awful lot of advice and and uh, counsel, not to minimize or eliminate, of course, the difficulty of this period of uh, our prayer life, but certainly to uh, understand what's happening. But before we get into that challenging part of the, the uh, conversation, let me say hi to my co-host, Francis Harry in studio today. How are you, Francis? Oh, I'm feeling very blessed. And guess what, Mark? What? Happy anniversary. <laughs> Is it today? Today. Well, it's this month. It's I don't remember the exact day, but That's we are right, starting. We are we are celebrating our fifth anniversary of Carmelite Conversation. So we got wow. five years of programming behind us, and this month we begin our sixth year of programming. So thank you, Radio Maria, and all of you in the audience there that tune in. Um, we're so grateful that uh, we're working on this spiritual growth together. <laughs> well, Francis, five years went very quickly. I know you and I had this conversation some weeks ago when I said, boy, if we could do, you know, 10 programs, that'd be great. And then we'll kind of run out of material. <laughs> and you said, having more experience in, in Carmel, you said, no, 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 we won't run out of material. And, and we haven't yet. <laughs> not yet. Well, it's our listeners determination, I guess, as to when we run out of material. But um, certainly we uh, we have something very rich to draw from. Uh, for this week and one additional week that we'll be dealing with Father uh, Haggerty's book. But I have to say, Francis, after five years, you don't look a day older. (laughs) (laughs) You're so kind. I'm glad God gives you that kind of vision of me. (laughs) At any rate, you know, this week uh, in the church, we begin the Lenten season. So Ash Wednesday is this week. Um, And so actually our conversation on poverty of spirit, self-denial and trial goes right in with that thing. Well, you're right. I, I, I uh, failed to mention that. Of course, we will beginning, uh, be beginning the Lenten season here on Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, as we air this program. Of course, uh, when you listen to it, we'll determine where we may be in Lent or um, it, even if we are in Lent. But um, you're right. It is an absolutely ideal topic for conversation as we begin to uh, come to uh, this uh, phase of the calendar, the church's calendar year, and preparing ourselves for the arrival of the Lord. And so I'm going to invite you, as I do each week, Francis, if you would lead us into this conversation by leading us in prayer. I will, Mark, and thank you for that. And then I want to briefly uh, go over the sets of signs that John of the Cross gives us regarding um, going into contemplative prayer, just to kind of preface this and to um, just concisely put those together. This prayer comes from St. Teresa of Avila from her Way of Perfection. Let us join together in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Lord, what great treasures are contained in holy poverty. Poverty is a good which contains within itself all the good things in the world. It is a great domain. I mean that he who cares nothing for the good things of the world has dominion over them all. 
What do kings and lords matter to me if I have no desire to possess their money or to please them, especially if by doing so I should cause the least displeasure to you, my God? And what do their honors mean to me if I have realized that the chief honor of a poor man consists in his being truly poor? True poverty, which is embraced for love of you, O Lord, brings with it a great dignity. It impresses everyone because its only care is to be pleasing to you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, you know, I think this would be the ideal place, actually, Francis, for us to um, have that introduction that you discussed about uh, John's two um, groups of three, uh, validations, confirmations, affirmations, if you will, regarding entry into this prayer, because we're going to begin with a section that's literally titled Aberrations, and it um, uh, presents, in Father Haggerty's words, a great caution uh, both about our desire to enter into this prayer and our belief about where we may be in the midst of it. And so I think at this point, John's uh, counsel in this would be very helpful. And no, most people think of the famous one set of signs, but actually there are two distinctive sets, even though they are very similar. So I'm going to try to just succinctly point them out. And, and when you say sets of signs, these are you're more familiar with them, I suspect, than many of our listeners, even than I am, certainly, Francis. But when you say sets of signs, these are signs that indicate... I'm going to say that. Oh, okay. As, because Great. each one is going to be indicating something different. Great. It's not indicating the same thing. So, um, and these are in regard to prayer, all right? Um, on the first set of three signs, um, these are for knowing that it's time to leave discursive meditation. Now, Mark, tell us what discursive meditation is. This is that dialogue, the use of the intellect, the use of the imagination. We may, if we have that uh, creative ability, uh, draw up images in our own mind, and there's a there's an exchange of, of a conversation that goes up, uh, back and forth. Um, it's a very active part on the uh, on the part of the prayer in this uh, phase of prayer, and it's a very intellectual activity. All right, so this first set of three signs, it comes from the Ascent of Mount Carmel by John of the Cross, book two, um, chapter 13, verses two through four. These three signs tell us when we are in the active night of the Spirit. Now, that's key. When we are in the active night of the Spirit and should begin to leave discursive meditation and then therefore proceed to a, a simpler, effective prayer or a loving gaze. All right? So this is the signs to leave discursive meditation. The first sign is the realization that one cannot make discursive meditation nor receive satisfaction from it as before. The second sign is an awareness of a disinclination to fix the imagination or sense faculties upon other particular objects, exterior or interior. The third and surest sign is that a person likes to remain alone in a loving awareness of God without particular considerations, interior peace and repose, in a general loving awareness and knowledge. So this doesn't mean that you're experiencing contemplation regularly, but you are more disposed and need to be more passive. Um, so we're going to leave that more intellectual, discursive type of meditation. And you may feel like you're, you're pretty 
dry, that you're getting nowhere, that uh, there's no consolation, that you're helpless, alone, empty. Uh, But this is a good time to see and recognize the gift of your insufficiency and poverty, even in your most dedicated efforts at prayer. So um, we want to encourage you that, you know, this is an opportunity to practice and purify your faith. All right. I I would only add this. Um, We are obviously giving you an intellectual foundation for these various phases. Even Father Haggerty's book, which I think in many ways makes John's writing, St. John of the Cross, more approachable. These are uh, intellectual insights. You know, the, the best advice I think we'd offer, Francis, is pray. And ask the Holy Spirit to guide you in prayer. What Francis has just described is a is a good understanding so that when you enter that phase, you will not think to yourself, oh, I must be lost because I don't want to actively meditate anymore. I don't want to use my imagination. I just want to sit here before the Lord. It's a perfectly appropriate stage of prayer. It shouldn't be forced. It will be felt. You'll be drawn into it. There'll be a desire for what she just described. And all we're saying is it's perfectly appropriate to allow yourself to enter into that. But most especially... Ask at the beginning of every prayer session, Holy Spirit, guide my prayer. Blessed Mother, be with me. My guardian angel, help me in this prayer. And then you'll get a sense of what you should be doing during that session of prayer. Okay. So, um, and and we should persevere patiently in prayer in this simple, uh, loving attentiveness. All right. So... Um, what is the second set of three signs? Well, they're found in the Dark Night, um, Book One by St. John of the Cross. And these are the three signs to help us know that we should practice contemplation regularly. The other one says that we, we should leave that discursive. And, you know, when we can do discursive, we should. Um, but, but when we're called into that loving presence and just the, this wanting to gaze at the Lord, we should go there. But, but these three signs indicate that you're in the passive night of sense. Now, the previous one was the active night of the spirit. Now we're talking about the passive night of sense in the dark night. So these are the three signs that we should practice contemplation regularly in our prayer. Um, the first sign is that as these souls do not get satisfaction or consolation from the things of God, they do not get any out of creatures either. He does not allow them to find sweetness or delight in anything. The second sign is that the memory ordinarily turns to God solicitously and with painful care. And the soul thinks it is not serving God, but turning back because it is aware of this distaste for the things of God. And the third sign is the powerlessness to meditate and make use of the imagination as one's previous custom when we were doing discursive meditation. At this time, God begins to communicate himself by an act of simple contemplation. As a result, the imaginative powers and fantasy can no longer rest in any consideration nor find support in it. And this is in Dark Night, Book 1, Chapter 9. Well, good. That, that is a good foundation. It is important, as we say, and, you know, the theme of this program, I think I must now say it at least once a month, um, is all about the need for all of us to recognize that we are called to an, a contemplative encounter with the living God, uh, regardless of our walk, our state in life. And it is good to have a foundation. St. Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross, undeniably the two best uh, doctors, um, uh, uh, counselors, if you will, uh, to help us understand this journey. Uh, but I but I caution you again, 
the best thing is to expose ourselves to the Holy Spirit at the beginning of our prayer, to dispose ourselves to the Blessed Mother, and to say, guide me, help me, lead me in the path that you call me. One of the things, uh, though, that Father uh, Haggerty cautions us on in this first section of our conversation for today is what he refers to as the aberrations. And he says, uh, in effect, my own words, one of the great tragedies of the modern era is that though we have a great hunger and a desire for feeding our spiritual nature, this is true, just listen uh, to uh, the modern literature, movies, and so forth. We do have a desire to feed our spiritual nature, but we often believe we need to discover some new means of continuing that search, that somehow the old ways don't apply. Francis has just validated for us that the ways of uh, 15th century Spain seem to apply quite well in the teachings of the doctors of the church, uh, St. John of the Cross, St. Teresa of Avila, um, provide us, um, as I say from my own perspective, undeniably the best counsel. And to keep us from air, yes. Yeah, exactly. This is what it is. You know, I've said so often, Francis, that in my spiritual direction, the work I do, and I know you do a great Mm -hmm. deal as well, uh, I always tell the folks who I speak with, I really serve as sort of the bumper uh, pads, if you will, on the bowling alley <laughs> to keep the ball moving down the lane. But I'm not going to direct the ball. I'm not going to, um, you know, bring them to union. It's not a spiritual director's responsibility to do that. Uh, but we can keep them from going uh, off the bumpers or into error. Well, what's accord, according to Father Haggerty, is um, that a loss of appreciation for the linkage between dogmatic teaching and spiritual encounter has led many to try and seek an encounter with God, an experience of him without the full appreciation for the transcendence of God. And so we need to explore uh, what we should understand about this and how to respond in our day and age. But before we do that, I want Mark to tell us again what dogmatic teaching is, because that's a word he uses often because he's got a degree in, in theology. But for those of us that um, you know, don't use that word frequently. I think we need an explanation. Yeah, dogmatic teaching, dogmatic theology. This is the the truths uh, of the of the faith from the deposit of faith that dogma, was, right? Yeah, left to us by our Lord. It does not change. It is eternal. It has always been true. It will always be true. Okay. And there is a lack of, a confusion maybe would be a politer way to say it, appreciation for the centrality of dogmatic teaching in the context of contemplative prayer. You know, so many, as Father Haggerty suggests here, uh, believe that they can just go about seeking this encounter with the Lord outside of an appreciation for his immutability, for his transcendence, for his uh, uh, eternal nature. And of course, we can't. We are not here simply for ourselves to seek this encounter. This is the, the trap that so many fall into. I just want to encounter. I want to have union. I want to see the face of the Lord. And often it's a self-centered approach to it. We have to understand that it is God who's calling us to that encounter. It is God who dictates the terms. It is God who gives us the grace even to desire it. And outside of an understanding of these uh, uh, truths inherent to our faith, we can easily fall victim 
to so many modern aberrations is and, the term he and uses. And these aberrations, I mean, these are, are subtle things that, you know, the person who's going through them may not be able to identify. So you need the guidance of a spiritual director. I, I was just talking a knowledgeable to... knowledgeable one. Yeah, yeah, I was just talking to a couple people about this very same thing this week. I'm like, thank you, Lord, for putting this on the table again for me so I'm fresh. Um, so, but this is subtle and, and uh, so we, we do have to be very careful here. Yeah, well, let me uh, just give this one quote from Father Haggerty, which I think sort of synopsizes this. He says, in a more radical expression of this tendency, this tendency to the aberrations that we're just discussing, there is no truth of God apart from an experience of him within ourselves. This is the aberration. A soul knows him inasmuch as it inwardly experiences him. The inward experience alone confirms religious truth. Again, this is the aberration. This is not the affirmative. This is yeah, not a positive yeah. thing. Because unfortunately, the claim to be experientially touched by God may have no basis in reality. I mean, and it's all in the eye of the beholder what's happening here right. um, as far as the person is concerned. But that's where we need the guidance of spiritual direction. Well, and he says, realizing the error becomes more difficult as the so-called experience of God are valued and sought above this uh, dogmatic understanding. The elevation and the private experience of God to a form of truth preempts every other objection and genuineness of the actual contact. In other words, to, to boil down what he's saying, it's the experience of God. It's my encounter with God. That's the central thing that I'm after. No, that's not true. What we're after is transformation of us as human persons. It is not a private affair, certainly not something unto ourselves. And when that begins to trump truth, then we are, are uh, put become victims who can be led astray very easily. And now we do speak like we want to encounter the Lord. We want to have an intimate relationship with him. But um, it's not for some sensible experience. It is for this love. So, um, I mean, we're getting to fine details here. So hopefully we can make it clear. I do want to say, too, nobody would say who is on this path, oh, I reject the teaching of the church. I hope they would never say that because that should uh, That's reveal, a red flag. <laughs> yeah, that should reveal your conscience failing in, in that moment. What happens is we simply set dogmatic teaching aside. We ignore it politely and conveniently so that it doesn't disrupt our individual pursuit. Let's begin by describing the method that Father Haggerty is raising a caution over. It has to do with the desire to find this inner silence, this deep peace within ourselves, where we are told that God dwells. Indeed, where he waits for us and where we might even experience him. We might, for example, and Father Haggerty goes through this, he says we might use a mantra or some other method to quiet the mind, remove distractions, so they no longer become impediments to our prayer. Yeah, because some of these techniques, we may well be able to eliminate thoughts and distractions and enter into a, a open, quiet space deep within ourselves. And indeed, we might well find that there's a sense of peace and tranquility that we desire, we might even encounter God. But here's where the caution is. What we may experience as perceived spiritual benefit may be nothing more than our own psychological processes convincing us that we are in that place where the Lord dwells, where we desire to be. In other words, we do all the right things, Francis, to bring about the circumstances that we spend many hours in this program talking about to have this encounter with the living God. But if it is only motivated by our own desire for that, I want the experience of God, I want to have something mystical happen to me, we may very well create that uh, 
delusion an in aberration. our own mind, an aberration. Yeah, you mind. can see where spiritual pride will sneak in here. Attachment to feelings or, or relativism or all kinds of things can sneak in here. So we do have to be careful. Yeah, in fact, he, uh, Father Haggerty says very bluntly here, uh, what seems to be a release from self may actually, in fact, be a plunge into self. And that's where the danger is. Um, in fact, he goes on in this, uh, in this next se- section. Do you have that with yeah, you? Yeah, diving down into the depths of a peaceful silence within inner consciousness is not to encounter the living God, but rather to enclose oneself in the self-absorption of a fallacious peace. Now, we are setting the stage here, Francis, we should reveal our strategy, uh, because we started this, I began the conversation by saying, ooh, poverty, self-denial, trial, and of course, everybody who's listening to us probably says, oh boy, this is going to be a fun hour with Mark <laughs> and Francis. But, but what we're trying to do now is set context. One of the reasons that God takes us through all of what we're going to describe is for the very purpose of allowing us to avoid the trap that's being set for us by the enemy, which is a self-centered entering into self to find that enjoyment and peace. Prayer is not fundamentally about just finding peace, silence, quiet, uh, uh, consolation. It isn't fundamentally about that. Again, right. it is fundamentally about the transformation. Um, about we, the love. <laughs> yeah, about love, which is the means of the transformation. And we'd be guilty here uh, in this pursuit of perfection without assistance or even participation of God. And that's something, by the way, and Father Haggerty points this out, it's sort of a new form of Pelagianism. You, for those who may not be familiar with the term, Pelagianism is the belief that the original, uh, uh, our original sin uh, did not taint human nature and that um, uh, mortal will is still capable of choosing good or evil without divine aid, without divine intervention, that we ourselves determine our future. And of course, this is a, a heresy of the church that had uh, been dismissed many years ago, but it reintroduces itself in this aberration of a look at prayer as something that is both um, an experience solely or that we do uh, for ourselves. And that introduces this Pelagianistic uh, heresy back into our prayer life. Method, as St. Teresa of Avila so often is fond of teaching us, that is not the means. We cannot become so enamored of a series of steps in prayer that we miss the entire point of prayer. It's not for us to experience something or to grab hold of God within us. It's to love God. It's, It's the love. A Catholic spiritual tradition, according to Father Haggerty, again, Catholic spiritual tradition affirms that God is by his nature wholly other than to our being and therefore uncontainable, unenclosable within any spiritual experience. This is right from the pages of St. John of the Cross, isn't it, Francis? We cannot contain God. We cannot hold him. We cannot define him. We cannot determine the outcome of our encounter, our seeking uh, him. And, And despite the fact that I suspect many of us would say, oh, I would never try to do that, Mark. Oh, Francis, I would never fall victim to that. The truth is we do. And what we're going to begin to discuss when we come back from our break, and we've got just a few things to share before we do that, but what we'll discuss is how God purifies us of all that potential risk. Because, you know, as Father Haggerty wrote here, it is only in an impoverishing love in prayer that allows the I to disappear. A love inattentive to self, empty of self, conquered by another. All deeper prayer demands this impoverishment 
of the eye, a poverty that has no conclusion, no boundary cross that re- would return the eye in some richer manner. So this sort of begs the question, Francis, then, boy, Mark, Francis, if you're mm-hmm. giving me all these cautions about prayer, there's this potential pitfall, there are, are the trials inevitably that we know you've talked about that we're going to have to go through. How do I know if I'm praying correctly? How do I know that I'm doing the right thing? Well, the, the, the caution is in the moment of prayer, you don't know. It's blind faith. We, right. we do give ourselves up. Francis has given us some great counsel at the beginning of our conversation that will keep us from avoiding uh, some very serious errors and traps. But how do you really know that you are uh, uh, bearing the fruits of an active prayer life? Uh, the answer, of course, comes right from Scripture. The virtues manifested in our life of charity, kindness, generosity, and compassion toward others. And as Teresa, These are the proofs of prayer. And as Teresa Vavala would also tell us, poverty of spirit, growth in humility, detachment, mortification. So, um, you know, basically is, you know, since we don't know how well we love God, we are we loving to others? That's the key. Are we loving others more? Are we more full of love? And so when we're in our prayer, this is the time where we're being receptive to being conquered by God. We're being quiet, peaceful, restful, uh, having a loving attention on the Lord, uh, an intimate uh, encounter, uh, waiting on the Lord in patience and perseverance. Well, we're going to take a break. As I said, when we come back, we're going to pick up on the uh, section entitled Poverty, Poverty of Spirit, as I clarified. I do want to just give a quick uh, programming note, if you will, um, that we're going to be talking about a pilgrimage that will occur later this year, and I'm going to give you some of the details on that. Uh, So if anybody wants to go during our break and grab a pen or uh, be ready to write something down, we'll provide a little bit of the detail on it. It is a Carmelite-centered a pilgrimage, and we'll give you more details on that later. But uh, a reminder that you're listening to Carmelite Conversations, a program on Carmelite spirituality on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home, and we'll be right back.
Well, welcome back to Carmelite Conversations, a program on Carmelite spirituality and Rainy Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Uh, Francis and I are continuing our conversation today on a book by a father, Donald Haggerty, entitled Contemplative Provocations. Uh, I've said it before. I'd be happy, Francis, to say it again. He drew so much of the richness of this book uh, from our Carmelite saints, and I'm, I'm very pleased that he was able to do that. Yes, it's our benefit to be able to uh, see how he has done that and uh, spiritually profit from it. Well, we had begun um, a discussion about the idea in the spiritual, Catholic spiritual uh, tradition of making sure the centrality of God in our prayer, the centrality of dogmatic teaching. Of course, I don't want to go through the history of this. Both of us could discuss it for a while, Francis, where we sort of lost our way after the Second Vatican Council uh, and it began to introduce so many aberrations, as Father Haggerty referred to them, into this pursuit of spirituality. You've heard this before. You know, I'm. Uh, you've heard someone say this, I'm sure, Francis. Well, I'm a spiritual person, but I'm not necessarily a religious yeah, person, right? I, I saw that on a church billboard lately. <laughs> Yeah, that, <laughs> spiritual, not religious, me. or religious, not spiritual, one or yeah, the other. <laughs> yeah, that that always scares like, me. And what frankly, does that mean? <laughs> it's a, it should be a red flag to us about um, an individual pursuit uh, of a of a person called God, who we then have you know defined, uh, and we begin to define the boundaries of that. Pursuit. And many people have blazed the trail, so yeah. we should learn from them, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, this section on poverty, poverty of spirit, I would elaborate um, uh, as I think is the appropriate uh, definition of this. Um, and we're going to begin actually with a, saint, uh, a quote from St. Augustine, which I thought sort of frame this whole chapter. I can really relate to this quote. St. Augustine says, when we pray, we are all God's beggars. <laughs> yeah, now some people might uh, shy away from that, but of course, um, at this level of prayer, we're now talking the entry into contemplative prayer, the contemplative encounter of the living God. This is where we find ourselves. We really are. And by the way, just to correlate this to a Carmelite a spirituality, this is exactly what Brother Lawrence of the Resurrection would have said. You know, we all come before God, uh, shrabbled clothes and, and uh, um, hungry and in need of him. In effect, this is what he's saying. We are all beggars. We all are all beggars before God. I always think of hungry for God, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, it's a difficult reality, as I say, for humans to accept, but there is always uh, something about ourselves that will remain hidden to us, and this is why we come before God as beggars. No amount of prayer or psychoanalysis or self-knowledge, even though Teresa advocates self-knowledge throughout the entire prayer life, none of that will ever fully reveal to us the deepest interior of ourselves, that part of us that only God knows, the poverty that lies deep within the center of our soul, and it is the thing that God loves most about us, Francis. How comforting is that? Yeah, he loves our neediness. I need you, God. I need you, God. <laughs> and this is what Father Haggerty says about this, which I found um, wonderful. He says, only in desiring God more intently do we become more silent toward ourselves, more insignificant, poorer before God. So, I mean, this is a good gauge for yourself if you're growing in your love and your prayer. Are you seeing yourself as more insignificant, 
poor before God? I, I mean, that's a good indicator. And this is right out of the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5, of course, uh, um, a great um, a means of enhancing our contemplative prayer, just to reflect on uh, Matthew chapter 5, the, uh, the verses on the Beatitudes. Poor in spirit, right? This is, this is what, we, uh, what we take from Scripture. Uh, of course, we can make this a profession of our own unworthiness. We do this very often, but we also often, unfortunately, um, in a more subtle attempt to manipulate God, express this, but deep down we're not really... Yeah, we're just saying the words because yeah. a saint said them, but we don't have the spirit of those words. Now, this isn't to say that we are intentionally being self-deceptive or, or, or deceiving God, rather. Right. Remember what, what I said a moment ago. There is this deep part of us that we really don't know about. God knows about it. He know the, knows whether we're being genuine or not. And we will know this is the case, this deception. It's really a self-deception. When after we have humbled ourselves, oh God, I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy, for example, and we still do not receive a desired reaction from God, i.e., I'm saying to you, God, I'm not worthy, so that, in effect, you will answer my prayer. And then when he doesn't, which so often is the case, by the way, in the, in the event that we are misleading ourselves, we become disgruntled. And have you ever uttered these words to yourself? I know, Francis, I have a hundred times. Just what is it that you want from me? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I laugh because I've heard you say that in conversation with me before, <laughs> before our programming. Yeah, and I the, can relate myself. <laughs> we will do this. If these words sound familiar to you, listener, what is it, God, that you want from me? Poverty that we talk about and emptiness sometimes as it's experienced is precisely what leads us to the realization that we actually have nothing to return to God in this relationship with him. We think, as I said a moment ago, oh, I sacrificed, I, I prayed, I humbled myself, I did all these things for you, God. And it's though somehow God's in need of it. He says in scripture, I don't have need of your sacrifices. Everything we have is in fact has in fact been given to us. It comes from him. What he looks for is our willingness to give him back the only thing that we really have, and that's our poverty. Now, it is our will. It is our will, but our will is represented in this poverty that we um, experience deep within this interior, and that's what God wants us to give back to him. We said a moment ago, it is actually what draws his love. Well, we must stress again here that this degree of poverty poverty <laughs> and the recognition of the impoverishment of our soul cannot be learned in self-analysis far less can it be learned in books or in seminars um, it's fine to read and hear about these things but they will only be learned by actually living them <laughs> experience is a great teacher here yeah it's not even fair to say that they will be fully understood by the soul when they are occurring again there are simply some things in our relationship with God that we will never fully understand. They must be approached and accepted and lived in faith. And I would add here, with love. Well, there can be a temptation at this stage to consider um, cooling our relationship with God, you know, kind of walk the other way. Um, we might think that if we play coy with God, he will sense our disinterest and then come chase us again, right? Because, <laughs> you know, this is a guy that likes, likes hide and seek. <laughs> right, right. But, of course, this is illusion. God understands us all too well, and he's not going to let us fall for this little game of ours. He understands that what has to increase here is not his expressed affection for us, but our 
desire to find him. And here is where I really liked what Father Haggerty said. Only by a divine wound does our love for God intensify. A divine wound. And, of course, John the Cross talks a lot about the divine wound. So only by a divine wound does our love for God intensify. This is in part a wound of inner discontent within our soul. A wound of inner discontent within our soul. The powerlessness of never giving ourselves adequately to love. Every increase of love only magnifies a demand to love more. So the more God loves you, the more you realize you don't love him enough. So, And he goes on to say, we realize better the insufficiency of our love whenever God draws closer to our soul. So nearer to God, we become poor. It's the nature of love to undergo this impoverishment. And again, I would I would encourage our listeners, think about a love relationship you may have been involved in, you may be involved in today, where you it, it may be a love affair and you have such a deep and desperate desire to be with the other person, man or woman, um, and, and you do feel a sense of woundedness at their absence, don't you? You want to be on the phone with them constantly. You want to be next to them. You want to be holding their hand. Uh, you want to be in their presence. You want to speak to them. We all know this experience. It may be with a parent, it may be with a very close friend or a child, but we have some sense of this. This is, of course, uh, on a spiritual level, so much deeper, this woundedness that Francis just read about occurs at a much deeper level and, and is more challenging, Francis, more painful. And I might also add that it's that emptiness, that poverty that we feel internally, that inner discontent that is the gift that we must sacrifice now to the Lord. Well, Father Haggard is quick to remind us that the best response to all of this, and again, right from St. John of the Cross to uh, Teresa of Avila, uh, and I would argue here as well, Therese of Lisieux, perhaps more so oh. Therese of Lisieux, mm-hmm. um, our best response is to find ourselves before the tabernacle. Now, this is actually true for two reasons. It seems obvious because, um, first of all, we will become... Uh, we will come to for- more fully understand and accept our poverty while we're there. Exactly what Francis just said. We desire to love God. We want to express our love to him, but we sense our inadequacy right from the words of Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity, by the way. We sense our inadequacy for responding to him. And that's an important part of this love uh, that we are trying to express and the healing that needs to occur. Secondly, though, uh, because our own poverty can never outdo the poverty of our Lord, that which he was willing to accept, both in his crucifixion and his willingness to allow himself to remain a prisoner in our midst, we will find consolation and encouragement in that alone, seeing his own poverty. And this reminds me of the holy card that St. Therese of Lisieux liked so much. It was the divine prisoner. Um, and I think she wrote a poem on this as well. Um, and I don't have it before me, but I know we have much more to share. But I just want to make that little note for those of you who um, know Therese and her poetry. Well, um, again, this is uh, at this stage of our prayer, this is no longer a time to consider the difficulties we might be experiencing in prayer in the way we did when we were practicing meditation. We talked about that earlier. We're not now uh, in that sort of active meditative phase. We've moved beyond that. 
Uh, this is not the time for deep reflections, intellectual analysis, self-analysis, even less. This, in fact, is a time simply to abandon ourselves in humble perseverance, to accept our inability to affect the outcome in any way, shape, or form. We do not control the outcome here. We might consider that at this stage, we are literally ourselves on the cross, suspended, as St. John of the Cross said, between heaven and earth. This is the experience that we'll have. We're no longer attached to the things of the world. We find ourselves detached, not even um, uh, struggling with it, but disinterested with so much of what used to call our attention to itself. Yet we're not really experiencing that uh, joy, that uh, consolation that is to be found in those occasional encounters with the living God. Here only God, as we're suspended, only God can do the work that remains of our sanctification. Yeah, this is the passive purification that John the Cross talks of so wonderfully. You know, there may well be moments of respite in the midst of all the, that, you know. We might have a rare moment where we might actually come to experience, you know, a sense that Despite our trials, everything in the, un the universe is really in God's hands and all will eventually be well. But, you know, these experiences, too, can be fleeting lest we attempt to grasp and hold on to them as our support. Now, of course, you know, John the Cross teaches nada, 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 you know, nothing, nothing, nothing. Um, do not hang on to anything and that God is uh, everything. All right. Yeah, let these things go constantly. John is saying this, you know, that's not it. This is one of his famous uh, uh, sort of counsels. You know, that's not it. That's a, not a, not a, not. It's don't hold on to anything. We'll get to this stage and we'll go, oh, I found the secret of prayer. Now I get, now I see. And more often than not, Francis, that comes at a moment of great consolation and peace, right? <laughs> we want to stay there, John would say. We want to stay on that ledge. So we go, oh, I found it now. And John says, nope. Take a breath. You can hang out there for a minute, but you got to keep moving. Right. You know, you got to keep There's going. There's more. <laughs> yeah. Well, Father Haggerty again has a quick quote that I think is appropriate here. He says, Our soul can seem false, caught in illusions. The discrepancy between desire and action here seems painfully clear. Uh, we should also not become frustrated, however, with our lack of clear resolution in this process. I said a moment ago that we're going to feel suspended and we're not really sure what to do patience, perseverance, faith. Indeed, this state of seeking and not finding to our satisfaction is actually part of the process, deepening our desire and thereby our expectation. We will be seeking, we will be desiring, we will be doing all of the things we think are necessary to bring us to this deeper encounter. And yet, not finding resolution, we can fall back on discouragement and self-recrimination. Oh, I've lost my way, as Francis has said uh, uh, earlier. In the end, our only response here is abandonment without knowing how, in the end, God will accept our response and what the future may hold for us. You know, I read something completely separate from this, Francis, but it was so appropriate and seemed in context of this conversation. We, at some stage of our prayer life, need to stop making plans, don't we? <laughs> right. We need to put away that thought that I can create my future and, God, I'm just going to set this course in mind and I see myself three years down the road. I know exactly where I'm going. I know exactly what I need to do. That works when you're living in the world. It doesn't work really well in the spiritual world. And, and you know, you can always have this uh, vision of where you you're think you're headed, but 
you know, the reality is God's got a better plan. And so you've got to be open. Uh, you have to surrender in confident abandonment, confidently trusting in this and our father's um, merciful love. He stoops down to help the poor. So being poor is a good place because that's who he comes to help is the poor ones. Those who think they got it all, well, God's not going to stoop down to help them. <laughs> they don't right. need them, right? <laughs> well, this next section, it's the last section actually that we're going to, oh, I'm sorry. No, there's actually one brief section at the end, but this one's entitled Sacrifice and Self-Denial. Now, before you all run away from the radio, um, let me sort of frame this just quickly. Uh, the most profound message of this section really is the message about what true asceticism is in the gospel. Understanding is not simply, uh, it is not simply about renunciation of the pleasures in our life. Indeed, it's not even pre predominantly about that. For this would appear to make sanctity nothing uh, other than uh, the, the giving up of things and somehow cheapen it, if you will. Uh, what we often see in the lives of monks and hermits that we perceive to be simply their um, uh, detachment, but of course their lives are much deeper. Indeed, the greatest practice of asceticism is actually found in the practice of the virtues right. that we just mentioned, and now we're circling back to. What do I mean? Charity, generosity, kindness, compassion. In the midst of the darkness and trials that we will inevitably experience in our life, as we described. And the model for all of this, of course, is the pure asceticism found in Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Think about her apostolic work in what we now know to have been really many years of darkness in her encounter with the Lord. She continued to practice profound charity, charity on a scale that many of us can't even imagine, uh, compassion, a generosity. But we now know through her diaries that she lived in, in remarkable darkness. That's the asceticism we're talking about. Fasting, uh, cold showers, night vigils, all the practical things that we can do uh, that represent asceticism. Terribly, terribly important. Don't allow yourself to perceive that I'm diminishing them in any way. Uh, but real asceticism, that which is talked about in the gospel, is a active engagement. We are apostolic contemplatives. Active engagement with society through the practice of the virtues of charity, generosity, compassion. This is real asceticism. And Mark, that reminds me, as you brought up Mother Teresa of Calcutta, of her famous poem, at least the ones attributed to her, called Do It Anyway. And I'll just give you a sense of it. People are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you're kind, people may accuse you of selfish ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. And it goes on and on. Um, but this this uh, poem that's attributed to her uh, gives a sense of what practicing those heroic virtues are. Yeah, and we have to keep in mind, as we said again earlier in the program, the greatest work that God wants to do with us is not a superficial work. It's not on the surface. It's deep. When we practice these virtues that we've just described, patience, kindness, charity, <clears throat> in the midst of our internal darkness and a sense of se separation from God, then we are practicing what we understand to be heroic virtue. This, of course, is exactly what St. Teresa of Avila tells us uh, is the only thing that should draw us out of prayer is an act of charity because she doesn't see them as separate from each other. She sees them as part of the same action. Again, active contemplatives. Um, I'd ask you to read, Francis. I think this is a good description uh, 
um, from Father Haggerty that helps uh, elaborate this point. Should a passion for God <coughs> subsume all other desires in a life? This would imply that everything we love in life other than God somehow competes with God, even steals from God the love that should be all his. This notion is incompatible with the tender affections for particular human lives that was present in saints. Their passion for God did not make them passionless toward the world they lived in. They had a cleaving attachment to God, but it did not extinguish friendship in their lives. They never became indifferent to human love. Rather, a refinement rooted in supernatural passion affected their love for human persons. Their great passion for God made every human love like the swell of a wave riding upon a powerful ocean undercurrent. Yeah, so what we're saying here is we don't separate the passion we have for other people from that which we have as a love for God, or we don't put the love for God uh, above all of that. In other words, oh, I, I can't help you because I have to go pray. This is scriptural as well. James tells us, no, we have to respond to that neighbor in need. It's part and parcel of our prayer. Um, I, I, I want to just capture this last point, Francis, I think is important before we uh, begin to close. But um, it does mean that uh, in some way, we should not expect that we are going to be uh, asked small testings, small sacrifices. We will be given significant testings in the midst of our effort to actively engage, actively apostolic, in the expression of love. And I would say, uh, on some level, our model for this, again, is St. Therese of Lisieux. It is not often the big trials, the big tests, the big um, uh, plans that we have that go awry. It's the little things. Yeah. It's the little frustrations. It's the little uh, annoyances. It's the little tasks that we're asked to do that we might conclude, oh, that's not important enough. I'm not going to do that one. But in fact, it's very important to the Lord, and we need to be sensitive to that. So we're coming up to a close of the hour, and um, I... I know, Mark, that you have might maybe have a few closing points, and then don't forget to mention the um, uh, pilgrimage again, please. Well, the last section was suffering and trial. I think we've covered in large uh, measure uh, what we had hoped uh, to cover there. Uh, I think perhaps it might be best just to let Father Haggerty close us out on this conversation because I think he does a good job. Um, it may seem, he says, a hard truth to accept that God's greater love is proven in the prevalence of trials we could not foresee, and by their lingering despite every plea from, for their removal. It is rare to find a soul that learns to take no surprise in this. And just closing out this section, he says, It is unfortunate if after so many signs of solicitude on God's part, we allow ourselves to be intimidated by the hypothetical thought of trials that are yet to come. This is my point about living in the day. Admittedly, we can tire of divine testings. That's, that's true for all of us. We can put God on notice that we've had enough. But perhaps we would forfeit a greater attraction for God that was growing in our soul. We forget that he may find us more appealing in our poor trials than at any other hour. And, you know, next week uh, we're going to continue this conversation, so we might touch on that suffering and trial a little bit more as we continue um, 
exploring the contemplative provocations. Um, and I know I have this wonderful closing prayer that you especially will like, and it's so appropriate as we begin Lent. But I want you to give us uh, some of the details on that pilgrimage again. Well, on the 29th of September, we're actually going to be having a pilgrimage to um Quebec, the province of Quebec. It'll go from 29 September to 4 October. Uh, the central theme of it will actually be Carmelite spirituality. We are going to have an opportunity actually to visit the shrine of St. Therese of Lisieux on her feast day Yay. in Quebec City. Awesome. Uh, prior to that, we will go to the Oratory of St. Joseph in Montreal, a place noted for uh, thousands of healings um, in, in part uh, through the prayers and sacrifices of uh, Saint Brother Andre, uh, Andre Bissette, whose feast day is October, I'm sorry, January uh, 6th. Um, we will also visit Notre Dame in Montreal. We will then proceed to Notre Dame in Quebec City and uh, end our pilgrimage on the 4th of October. Uh, actually, the 3rd of October, we'll visit Saint Anne de Beaupre. Uh, a wonderful church dedicated to our Blessed Mother. So there'll be a number of churches, uh, fantastic churches uh, in the province of Quebec. We'll get exposed to a little bit of French culture, uh, and uh, it'll be a wonderful trip centered on Carmelite spirituality, healing, and we'll go through the Holy Door at Notre Dame in Montreal, uh, I'm sorry, in Quebec City, uh, during this uh, Jubilee Year of Mercy. So really a wonderful trip. Um, Now, if you are interested in... Uh, joining uh, myself for the trip, um, I'd encourage you to go to carmeliteconversations.com. That's our uh, personal website. And uh, I think by the end of the day, you'll find a link there uh, to the organization that has put this together for us and some of the additional details. Or you can just leave us a message indicating your interest, and I will send you that link. No one will contact you directly. You'll have to initiate it uh, with them if you are interested. So don't fear that anybody will contact you. But um, we would uh, invite you and hope that uh, many of you might want to join us on 29 September, the Feast of the Holy Angels, by the way, and then returning on 4 October, the Feast of St. Francis. And Mark, as a as a um, contemplative, as a uh, discussed Carmelite, as a French Canadian, uh, I think this will be amazing for you to be leading this pilgrimage. I look forward so. to it. All right. Well, I have this closing prayer that will lead us into the Lenten season from your favorite, Blessed Elizabeth of the Trinity. Let us pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Blessed Master, grant that the divine good pleasure may be my food and daily bread. May I let myself be emulated according to the Father's every wish after your example, O adored Christ. If at times what he wills is more crucifying, no doubt I may say with you, Father, if it be possible, let this chalice pass from me. But I shall immediately add, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And calmly and steadfastly I shall climb my Calvary with you, singing in my inmost soul, sending up to the Father a hymn of thanksgiving. For those who tread that way of sorrows are those whom he foreknew and predestined to be made conformable to the image of his divine Son, who was crucified for love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, thank you again, Amanda, that you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations, a program on Carmelite Spirituality and Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. Until we're with you again next week, God bless.